you were asked to impart some wisdom and give words of encouragement and instruction to a new group of believers, what would you tell them? Some of you might talk about the joy that comes when you live your life for Christ. Some of you might even talk about the importance of prayer and studying God's Word and sharing His Word with others. But let me ask you this. How many of you would say something like this? How many of you would say to that person or a group of people, you're going to suffer in your spiritual life and you are going to suffer a lot? You're going to go through lots of trials and storms before it's all said and done. How many of y'all would take this approach? Anybody? Maybe a few of you. Well, Paul and Barnabas do. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 14. We're back in the book of Acts. We've been gone for a little bit, but we're continuing on through our series through the book of Acts titled To the Ends of the Earth, and we're picking up where we left off last which I know you've slept a few nights since then, but that's chapter 14, Acts 14. And we're going to look at the entire chapter this morning, but before we do, I want you to skip down and look at Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Look at that verse of Scripture. In this passage, as Paul and Barnabas are making their way back through Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. We're told that they strengthened the disciples there and encouraged them to continue in the faith. And they told them this. Listen to this. They said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. They, they told them that you are going to endure many hardships for being Christians. You are going to suffer a lot for Christ and for God's gospel. Now, let's be honest for a minute. Those are some hard words for new believers, right? What led Paul and Barnabas to, to tell them this? Well, I know it's been a while since we've been there, but we're in... Acts 14, we're, we're on Paul's first missionary journey. We're looking at that, and we've already looked at quite a bit of this first mission trip of Paul and Barnabas. And you remember that though they saw a lot of fruit from their ministry on this first mission trip, they also had a lot of issues. For example, they have issues with the man by the name of Bar-Jesus in, in Paphos on the island of Cyprus. Remember, John Mark left them high and dry in Perga. And, and though many Gentiles came to Christ in Antioch in Pisidia, many of the Jews there wanted Paul and Barnabas dead. So they, they stirred up many in the city against them and they drove them out of their district. And so Paul and Barnabas end up in Iconium. And so though they see some great fruit from this first missionary journey, they face many trials, many difficulties. And that's exactly what Paul tells the new converts in Acts chapter 14. He tells them that there are trials 
that are going to come. There are hardships that, that believers have to endure when they faithfully live their lives for Christ. Yet, though that's the case, there is fruit that come from the ministry and there is glory at the end of it. There's fruit that comes from it. There's joy in the midst of it. And there is glory at the end of it. So this morning, we are going to wrap up Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. And we're going to discuss the trials that come when the gospel is preached. And we're also going to talk about the triumph that comes when God's people are faithful to proclaim his Gospel, But first, let's begin where Luke does by looking at the trials. Notice this. First, at times when the gospel is preached, the message will be poisoned. When the gospel is preached, the message will be poisoned. Look at verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So... Right off the bat here, Luke tells us about great fruit that comes from Paul and Barnabas' ministry. And notice they, they go to Iconium, and where do they go first? Let's start there. Where do they go first in Iconium, in the city? They go to the synagogue, right? Jewish synagogue, good. This was their normal pattern, their, their plan in ministry. They would go to the synagogue first because early on, Paul had an immediate audience with the Jews. He was a well-educated, highly respected Jew until they found out he was a Christian. And then they wanted to kill him. But uh, Saul, was, he was from good stock. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was trained under Gamaliel. He was referred to as Rabban Gamaliel, highly respected Jewish teacher at that time, Master Gamaliel. So, so Paul came from good stock, and he knew that he would often be given a platform in these synagogues so that he could preach and that's what he did and he preached Christ in Iconium and a great number of both Jew and Gentile believed it's a great response now in Antioch in Pisidia we're told that a great number of Gentiles believed and a great number of Jews wanted Paul and Barnabas dead but here in Iconium, you have a great number of both who believe. So again, God is bringing great fruit through this ministry of Paul and Barnabas. But they also face great difficulty. Look at verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Stop there for just a minute. Notice once again... We have the unbelieving Jews causing problems, fighting against God and fighting against God's people and fighting against God's gospel, trying to poison the minds and the hearts of the believing Gentiles. They like bar Jesus in, in Paphos. Remember what he did to Sergius Paulus. He was a Jew as well. Bar Jesus was. And they're doing the same thing. They are trying to turn the people's hearts away from the truth and against God's disciples. And so Paul and Barnabas, once again, they come up against serious opposition. Serious opposition. And because there were these people in this city who were trying to twist and distort the message, we're told they stay there with them for a while. 
teaching them and combating, of course, these false teachings and and these attacks. Look at verse 3. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So they stayed for a while. Notice it says that they instructed them on grace. God, through His Word and through the Apostle Paul, instructed them on grace. Paul preached grace to them. God taught them about grace through Paul. This is something that many of the Jews in Paul's day had missed completely. Though they knew the Old Testament Scriptures, they had left Jesus out. And so... Paul and Barnabas, they, they stay for a while and they show Jesus to them and they teach them that salvation is not earned. It is a gift, not a reward. It's unmerited and undeserved and available to us through Christ alone. They remained a long time to show them this in the scriptures. And again, what scriptures is Paul using here? He's using the Old Testament, right? That's all he had. Do you know that we can learn about the grace of God in the Old Testament? Do y'all know that? It's all throughout the Old Testament. Very beginning, with Adam and Eve, after they sin. Though there are curses given out, there are blessings that accompany those curses. And we see God's treatment of his own people. Grace upon grace. And, And we as New Testament believers, we're to read the Old Testament with New Testament eyes, and when we do that, we see that the Old Testament is centered upon Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises God made through his prophets and priests and kings. Well, Paul and Barnabas were invested. They were investing in these people here, spending tons of time explaining this to the Jews in Iconium. We see that those who are poisoning the message were also making their own impact. They were being so effective that we're told the people in the city were divided, which, by the way, we said several weeks back, that's what the gospel does. It divides, doesn't it? It does. Look at verse 4. We see it here. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Well, Paul and Barnabas, they just continue on. Though there's, this is the response, they, they continue to be faithful no matter what. And so the enemies of the cross, they become fed up with Paul and Barnabas. And they want to kill them. Look at verses 5 through 7. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it. Paul and Barnabas did, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. They continued to be faithful. They continued to preach the gospel, no matter the opposition. Folks, this is the response, always. Faithfulness. When you are faithful to preach the gospel as well, you need to know this. People are going to be faithful to distort it and poison the message. You can count on it. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, he makes it clear that the influences of Satan are at work right now through the sons of disobedience. And do you know the primary work that Satan is involved in? He wants to challenge, distort, 
twist and wants people to outright deny God's word. He wants to demonize God's people. And we see this clearly in, in Paul's day during his ministry in Iconium. We see it throughout Christian history and we see it today in our world today. When you are faithful to serve the Lord, By serving his word, Satan is hard at work as well through the sons of disobedience to challenge and twist and distort and reject God's word and to turn people's hearts away from the truth and against you. That happens. And when this happens, you know how we're to respond? said it earlier. How are we to respond? Same way Paul and Barnabas do. We're not to be fearful. We're not to get discouraged. We're not to give up. We are to remain faithful regardless. In verse 7, we're told after Paul and Barnabas left Iconium, they went to Lystra and Derbe, and there they continued to preach the gospel. And God brought more and more people into his kingdom through their ministry. But they also met more challenges there. Some in these areas misunderstood the message. That's the, the second challenge to the gospel message when it's shared. At times, when the gospel is preached, some will be confused. Some will be confused. Look at verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet and he sprang up and he began walking. Now, before we get into this miracle, I want you to notice something very important right off the bat. Paul and Barnabas' ministry in Lystra is different from their ministry in Antioch and Pisidia and their ministry in Iconium in a major way. Where do they go first? What's the place they go first in Antioch and Iconium? They go to synagogues, right? They don't do that here, do they? They don't do that here. This is primarily a a Gentile area. They spoke a language, though Paul and and the people in this area during that day, they had a common language that they all spoke where they could communicate. The people here also spoke in Lyconian, a language that Paul and Barnabas didn't understand. And they had beliefs and practices that were foreign to them. They were polytheistic. This is a very different context, a very different ministry, a very different work than the work that had taken place in Antioch, in Pisidia, in Iconium, and amongst the Jews. They are, they are ministering to the pagan Gentiles here. And notice what happens. In Lystra, there's a man who is there, who has been crippled from birth, and Paul heals him, and the crowd sees it, and they're stunned, they're amazed by it, and God uses this miracle to draw the Gentiles to Barnabas and Paul. Now notice, God does a similar work earlier on in Acts, right? Acts chapter 3, remember Peter and John? They're going to the temple, and there's a man by the beautiful gate who, who was born crippled. They heal him, and what happens? A group of Jews gather around them in Solomon's portico. Very similar account here. And we see, I think Luke is recording this for us, to show that God is just as much at work with the Gentiles as he is with the Jews. He's showing himself to be the same God to both, and he wants both to respond to him and, and he wants to be known and worshipped by both. God wants to be known and worshipped by all peoples, by Jew and Gentile. We see that here, okay? All right. But when they gather with Paul and Barnabas, we, we find out that they're confused about who they are. 
They're confused about who Paul and Barnabas are. And as a result, Paul and Barnabas are very confused as well by their response. Look at verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in, in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd. So after the crowd saw this miracle, they gathered around Paul and Barnabas, and they're stunned, they're amazed, and they respond in worship. The only problem with their worship is it's directed in the wrong direction. It's not directed toward the one true God, but to Paul and Barnabas. They thought Paul was Hermes. Hermes was the Greek God who they believed invented speech. And because Paul was the gifted speaker in the group, they thought he was Hermes, and they thought, well, Barnabas must be Zeus then. When reading up a bit on this, a couple of weeks ago on the history in, in Lystra, I found that there were many in this day who believed this story that at one time in history, in Lystra, many believed that Zeus and Hermes had come to visit this city. And when they came into this city, they took the form of lowly people and they were looking for someone to be hospitable to them and take them in and the whole city rejected them all except for one couple and so as a result Zeus and Hermes responded to this one couple by giving them a great fortune giving them great wealth and they punished everybody else by destroying them and a lot of people in this city at this time they believed this myth in Lystra about Zeus and Hermes so when Paul and Barnabas come strolling into town. They start healing people and preach the word of God with power and conviction. People in Lystra begin to think the Greek gods have returned to us. So they begin to sacrifice to them. And you get this feeling that Paul and Barnabas at first, they really don't understand what's going on because they don't know the culture, they don't know the language. And so they're just sort of scratching their heads for a minute as all this is, is taking place. And that is until the, the animals, they bring those out to sacrifice to them. And Paul and Barnabas, they realize what's happening and they tear their clothes and they rebuke them. Look at verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. So they, they misunderstood who Paul and Barnabas were and what they came to do. Paul and Barnabas were no different than the Lyconians. They said, We, we also are men of like nature with you. We're not different. We, we're just men who come to bring to you the good news of the living God, the one true God of all. Here's the thing, folks. All peoples, all cultures have a way of viewing the world that is different from others. And you really experience this when you visit another culture. You see that. In this city, in this day, the way people viewed the world was through a Greco-Roman lens. They did not believe in one invisible God who exists in three persons who has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. They believed in different Greek gods. And they also believed in all these stories 
surrounding these Greek gods. So when Paul and Barnabas, they stroll into town and they're preaching this message and they're performing these miracles, many view them in this way, through their own cultural lens. They misunderstood and misapplied the message. And this is real easy for people to do, especially in cross-cultural settings like this one, because at times we misunderstand people who share a similar worldview, don't we? When we come into a conversation, we bring our baggage with us. And at times, when interacting with others, we hear from them what we want to hear, which may or may not have anything to do with what they're actually saying. And believers, when we share the gospel, it's important to know the truth of the gospel message and present that, but also know our audience, know where they are, know what they believe so that we can meet them where they are and effectively bring them to the true Jesus through the true gospel. There are many in our world today, many here in in Jacksonville, in the buckle of the Bible belt, who have either misunderstood the truth of the gospel, or they have correctly understood a false gospel. And they desperately need to be corrected. They desperately need to hear the true message. They need people to meet them where they are and effectively lead them to the true Jesus through the true gospel. So that's the challenge that we're faced with today. And and Paul's faced with this in his day as well. So let's go back to our story. Let's look at how Paul responds. And notice how Paul shapes the gospel message in such a way that it's defined by scripture and shaped by culture. This is so good. Look at verse 15. Paul says, we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things, these false beliefs, these myths to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own Ways, Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Now I want you to notice Paul's approach here. What scripture does he quote? He doesn't quote one. You know why? Because they didn't have scripture. They didn't have Bibles they could turn to. They didn't have any, any knowledge of that. Like he does in, in the Jews, you know, when he goes to the Jews, he quotes the Old Testament. They have the scriptures there. Paul doesn't do that here. What's he doing? He's meeting them where they are. Now, Paul's, you know, he, what he's giving them is found. The truths that he's giving them is found in the word of God, obviously. But he's meeting them where they are. Here's what Paul knew about this group. He knew that they believed in higher beings who created the world and who interacted with people in the world. And so what does Paul do? He meets them there and he tells them about the creator, the only God there is, the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing God who made all that is, the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything. And he is sharing about this creator God in hopes that they will hear that message and believe in that message in turn from their false beliefs and turn to the one true and living God. So Paul starts where they are. And he introduces to them the one true God of 
creation, the God who has made himself known in creation, the God who has revealed himself by bringing rain from his heavens and fruitful seasons, as he says, satisfying their hearts with food and gladness. Now, I want you to notice here, Paul has not yet gotten to Jesus, has he? But that's where he's headed. That's where he's always headed. I believe he's taking the normal approach here of talking about first God and then man and then sin and then salvation and Jesus. But, but notice here that his words are still not getting through to the people in Lystra, which should encourage us, by the way. I've had people get so frustrated. Why can't they understand what I'm telling them? Why can't they embrace this message? They're not getting Paul here. That should encourage you a little bit. In verse 18, we're told... Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Paul is saying we're not gods. There is only one true and living God who has created all that that is, but they're not listening. They're not getting it. Paul and Barnabas did all they could, but they could not stop them from carrying out these wicked acts. And they also get interrupted by their buddies from Antioch and Iconium. They're not even able to finish and take them to Jesus before they're disrupted by this other group that comes in to stir up trouble. And at times that happens. But I want you to notice once again, though that happens, Paul and Barnabas remain faithful to the work that God has called them to. And God continues to use them in a great and mighty way. But they're misunderstood at first in Lystra. Notice another key trial they face in Lystra, the trial of persecution. At times, when the gospel is preached, God's messengers will be persecuted. Look at verses 19 through 20. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Wow. Notice what we have here. While Paul and Barnabas are ministering in Lystra, the angry Jews, they left in Antioch and Iconium, come to Lystra, and they stir up the non-believers in the crowd, and they go after the messenger. They go after Paul, they stone him, they drag him out of the city, and they think that they have killed him. Paul is persecuted for his ministry and for his message and for the cause of Christ. And at times, this happens. When the gospel is preached, God's messengers get persecuted. We've seen this all throughout the book of Acts. It's happened with Peter and John, with the other apostles. This happened to Stephen. He was put to death at the, at, at, by the men who were with Saul, actually. James, the brother of John, was killed by Herod. And now Paul is being persecuted. At times, when the gospel is preached, God's messengers get persecuted persecuted. This happens all throughout the New Testament. This happens all throughout Christian history. This is happening today, more so than ever before. We're just shielded from it a bit. Listen, when you stand for Christ, when you are faithful to do what he has called you to do, when you submit to his lordship and take a stand for him and faithfully proclaim his message, you're going to receive kickback from the world. You're going to collide head on with the world. You know why? 
Because Christ and God's gospel message, they go, they go counter to the ways and to the teachings of the world. And Paul learned this the hard way. Here we see he was stoned in Lystra and left for dead. And they thought they had killed him, but boy, were they wrong. I love this. Look at verse 20. When the disciples gathered about him, and I want you to think about this. These are new converts from Lystra gathering around Paul. So imagine how that would have been for them. They're babes in Christ. And immediately they're exposed to the costly call of being a follower of Christ. They're seeing what it might cost them right there laying in the street. We're told they gathered around Paul thinking he's dead. And what happens? I love this. Paul rose up. And what did he do? Did he get out of there? Head back to Antioch in Syria and stay there the rest of his days? No, I love this. Listen. Paul rose up and he entered the city. He went back in. Bruised and beaten and bloody. That is faithfulness on display right there. They stoned him and drug him out of the city, and he got back up and he went back in. Wow. The next day, we're told, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Paul was faithful, no doubt. May that be said of us. How are you going to respond when you get kicked back from the world? How are you going to respond? We have our answer right here of how you're to respond. Right here. Paul and Barnabas give us a great example here where to keep trusting, where to keep believing, where to keep following hard after Jesus, and where to keep standing strong for him and ministering to others for the sake of Christ's name. Paul and Barnabas did this, and they saw great fruit from their ministry. And we're going to look at that now. We've looked at the challenges, the trials that come when the gospel is preached. Now let's talk about the triumph of the gospel. Let's talk about the great fruit that comes when God's people are faithful. First, we learn in this passage that at times when the gospel is preached, some are saved and discipled. Some are saved and discipled. Look at verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Though Paul and Barnabas had some who poisoned their message and others who were confused by their message and others who persecuted them for their message, they had many others who responded positively to their message. We're told that many in these cities came to Christ. So they they continued to be faithful no matter what these enemies of the cross threw at them, literally at times. And we're told that a large number of people in these cities came to Jesus. But notice that Paul and Barnabas did not leave them as spiritual infants. This is very, very important. We're going to talk about in the weeks to come. The work of an evangelist includes discipleship. 
We see that with Paul. Look, they invested in them and made many disciples in these cities. They strengthened them. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, to continue to grow in godliness. And the reason why is because they knew that they would need to be mature spiritually to face these challenges that come from being a Christ follower in this area of the world at this time. And Paul didn't sugarcoat things for them. He says this, you guys need to continue in the faith. You need to grow and mature. You need to be strengthened by the Spirit because through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Once again, when you're faithful to do what God has called you to do, the world is not going to like it and is going to push back. But we're to remain faithful because get this, Scripture is crystal clear on this. Though trials come, Though hardships come, we have to endure those as believers when we're faithfully living our lives for Christ. When we do that, there is also fruit that comes. And there is joy found in ministry in the midst of hardships sometimes. And there is glory at the end of it. It's worth it. It's worth it by far. Paul told us that. He had to endure more than any of us ever have, probably ever will. He said it's worth it. So when the gospel is preached, though some twist the message, others misunderstand the message, others persecute those sharing the message, some are saved and discipled. Last point. When the gospel is preached, God's people are encouraged. God's people are encouraged. Look at verse 24 through 28. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So here we have the, the end of Paul's first missionary journey. And notice how he and Barnabas retraced their steps before returning to Antioch. They made it out as far as Derby. Take a look at this map here and it'll, it'll kind of track their step. Go on to the next slide there and look at this uh, map here. This is their journey out. But notice their journey back. Go to the next slide. Look at where they go back. See that? They go right back the way they came, just about, don't they? Why do they do that? Why do they retrace their steps? Why do they return to these areas? You know why? Because they left believers there. You remember Christ's Great Commission? Matthew 28. He says clearly that his disciples are to be making disciples. They're to be making disciples. Not just new converts, but disciples. This takes time. This takes commitment to make disciples. We have to invest in people. We have to go back to them and back to them and back to them. And when they fall, we got to go back to them. And when they mess up again, we got to go back to them. That's discipleship. It takes work. This is the kind of ministry that Paul and others were involved in. And we're going to learn later in, in uh, Paul's later missionary journeys, you know where he goes? He goes back to these places first. You know where he goes on his third one? Back to these places again. 
we see here Paul and Barnabas were committed to making disciples. And we learned that they were very effective in doing so. And we're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. The importance of evangelism involving discipleship. And, and that's why our mission statement says what it does. Told in verse 23 that they also appointed and commissioned elders for the believers in every church they started. They built solid churches. They, they planted these solid churches that they left in this area. And then we're told that they returned to their sending church in Antioch in Syria. And they reported to them that the door of faith had opened to the Gentiles in Antioch and in Iconium and in Lystra and in Derby. And you have to think that that was music to the ears of those in the church at Antioch who were filled with Gentiles to hear that more Gentiles were coming to faith in Jesus. So they report back to their church about the work that God was doing and were told they stayed a long time together. And I imagine that the church was built up and edified and encouraged by this news, don't you? That's the reason we have team leaders come back and report when they go out and they do mission ministry and that's why we have a whole month in the summer devoted to missions where we have our missionaries come in and report to us we do it so that you can hear about the work that God's doing elsewhere so that you can see God's heart for the nations it's not just for the U.S. he wants to be known by all peoples everywhere wants to be worshipped by them and we do that so you can hear these stories and hear about God working in this way and we also do it so that you who are supporting the work financially and providing prayer support will be encouraged and strengthened by the work that God is doing through your support and they do that here in, in Antioch in Syria well We've seen this morning, though there are challenges that come to God's gospel, there's great fruit that come when God's people are faithful to share and to show Christ to those who need him. Maybe you're here this morning and you need Jesus. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe the, the gospel that you have heard and have received is a distorted gospel. Or, or maybe you have heard the true message of the gospel, but you misunderstood that message. Listen, Scripture teaches that we're saved when we come to realize that we are sinners who have rebelled against a holy God. And when we realize that though we deserve God's judgment, He sent His Son, God the Son, to be for us what we could never be for ourselves. He was perfect inside and out. He was what we failed to be, and He did what we failed to do, and He took the punishment that we deserve. He died in our place. And God raised him up again so that we, through him, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, could be forgiven of our sins and made right with God and so that we could have life in his name and so that we could be raised from spiritual death to spiritual life in Christ. That's the gospel. Maybe you have received a distorted version of that message or you've misunderstood that message or maybe you've just outright denied, rejected that message. I pray God set you straight this morning. That's my prayer for you. I pray that uh, he show you the truth of his gospel, that you turn 
from your sin and you turn to Christ and you place your life in his hands. Give over the reins of your life to the Lord Jesus and trust in him alone for your salvation. If you've never made that decision, pray you would before you leave here today. Would you pray with me?